morning, New Life. It is such a blessing to be with you again this morning and to open up God's Word together. Uh, today we will be in John chapter 15, and this sermon is part two of a three-part sermon series called Jesus Is, in which we are looking at some of the I Am statements <clears throat> made by Jesus. So I want to uh, just briefly apologize for my voice. Uh, I have seasonal allergies, and for me, it's spring, summer, fall, uh, an on-again, off-again battle, and this weekend is an on-again battle, so I, I hope it's not too distracting. Uh, but last week, we heard an, an, an awesome sermon by Morgan Folgers uh, about Jesus being the gate for the sheep and being uh, our, our good shepherd. And today, we're looking at where Jesus says, I am the vine. So in this passage, in John 15, Jesus is the vine, and God is the vine grower, and you and me and all followers of Christ are branches of the vine, and fruit is produced by the vine, Jesus, through the branches. And I want to open this morning by sharing two biographical accounts of two amazing American heroes. And both of these men abided in Christ, just as John 15 exhorts us to do. And they bore much fruit. <clears throat> Each of them was, they were both born about 100 years ago, and their lives were very different. But each of them knew Christ and followed Christ, and the fruit they bore, though different, uh, was, was very genuine. So the first is a man named Louis Zamperini. And you might be familiar with him because of a 2014 movie about his life, and that movie was called Unbroken. So Louis Zamperini was born in 1917 in New York, the son of two Italian-American immigrants. In high school, he joined the track and field team, and at the age of just 19 years old, he competed in the Olympics, running the 5,000-meter race uh, held in Berlin, Germany. And he finished in eighth place in that race. After the Olympics, he came back to the United States and enlisted in what was then called the U.S. Army Air Forces. And during World War II, he served in the Pacific Theater. In May of 1943, he was assigned to a search and rescue mission for a lost aircraft and crew. And as, uh, as they flew over the vast waters of the Pacific, the aircraft that he was on had mechanical problems and crashed into the ocean. And only three of the 11 men on board survived that crash. After 33 days of floating on two small rafts, one of the three men died, leaving just Zamperini and one other still barely alive. And on the 47th day, they landed at the Japanese-held Marshall Islands, where they were immediately taken as prisoners of war. So Zamperini was eventually taken as a, uh, to a POW camp on mainland Japan, and if you saw the movie, uh, you know that he was often severely beaten while being held in captivity for more than two years until the end of the war in August of 1945. And the guard responsible for most of his beatings was Mutsuhiro Watanabe. After his release, Zamperini returned to the United States and married the love of his life, Cynthia Applewhite. 
1946. But he suffered from PTSD and often resorted to heavy drinking to try to mask, hide, numb the pain. In 1948, his wife, Cynthia, attended an evangelistic crusade held by Billy Graham, and she became a Christian that night. And a year later, at the encouragement of his wife, Zamperini also attended a Billy Graham crusade. And there that night, he became a follower of Christ as well. And so because of his, his own sins were forgiven by Christ, Zamperini forgave those who had tormented him and, and uh, beat him while he was a prisoner of war. So Zamperini himself became an evangelist and even returned to Japan to share the gospel message, the message of salvation and forgiveness in Christ Jesus. He was even able to speak to a number of the POW guards, and he told them that he had forgiven them. In 1998, while in Japan, he tried to meet with Mutsuhiro Watanabe, the man that was responsible for all of his beatings while being held in captivity. But unfortunately, Watanabe refused to meet with him, so instead Zamperini wrote a letter to him and, and explained the gospel and, and told him that because of Christ, he, Zamperini, forgave him, and that salvation and forgiveness of sins are available to everyone in and through Jesus Christ. Louis Zamperini died on August or on July 2nd, 2014, a forgiven man and a forgiving man. I am the vine, and you are the branches. Those who abide in me, and I in them, bear much fruit. So Louis Zamperini abided in Christ and bore much fruit. The fruit that he bore was forgiveness, or that is to say the fruit that Christ produced in and through Zamperini was forgiveness. The second American hero that I want to talk about this morning is a man named Ted Andrianoff and his wife, Ruth. So Ted was born in 1920 in New Jersey. Ted's parents were essentially refugees from Russia who immigrated to the United States a couple years before Ted was born. So Ted's father had worked for the last Russian czar who was on the losing end of the communist Russian revolution. So after settling down in New Jersey, his mother asked a neighbor how she could raise her children to be good American citizens. And the neighbor said, you need to get them involved in the local church and Sunday school. And so that's what the family did. Ted's wife, Ruth, was born in Cleveland, Ohio in 1918. And she grew up and went to the Christian and Missionary Alliance uh, the, the Missionary Training Institute, which is in New York, attending, starting to attend in 1939. And two years later, she met Ted there. And Ted knew the day that they met that he was going to marry her someday. So that's what they did. In 1942, they got engaged, and then in 43, they got married. And about a year after that, David was born, their first child. And then came little Jeannie, making them a family of four. They wanted to go to the mission field of Africa, but their organization had greater need for them to go to Laos, 
which is a small landlocked nation in Southeast Asia. And at the time, it was part of uh, French Indochina. So on July, in July of 1947, they left from New York on a former World War II troop ship. And after exactly one month of sailing on the sea, including two stops, they arrived in Saigon. From Saigon, they traveled up to Vientiane, which is the capital city of Laos, where they quickly got to work learning the Lao language. Eventually, Ted and Ruth and their two small children moved to a mountain town in central Laos called Sangquan. There were no Christians in the entire province. So the... The red star on the map is Vientiane, the capital city, and then the little blue star is Sanquang, where the mountain town where they eventually served. So their goal was to reach an unreached people group in that part of Laos called the Hmong. Little did they know that by their willingness to accept this less than desirable uh, position, that they would be brought into a great, a great miracle that God was planning. So in Sang Kwong, the family of four settled into a small house with little more than a bedroom, a kitchen, and a front, front porch. There was no electricity in all of the province, uh, but they were able to cook using kerosene. And most houses were the traditional Lao structure, uh, just using bamboo and thatch, often set on stilts. But while in the capital city, they met Nai, Nai King, a young believer of the Camus people group. He had a strong Christian faith, and he was a Bible school student there in the capital city. So Nikang, along with his wife and their young baby, they traveled with the Andrianoffs out to Sangkwang province to help them in their ministry. Nikang and his family needed a place to live, to rent, while in Sangkwang because the Andrianoffs' house uh, was, was just too small. And the only place available was a small bamboo and thatch shack owned and used by the local shaman. So this particular house was used in spirit-appeasing uh, animistic worship practices and was haunted by evil spirits. So the Andrianoffs, Nyking, and his wife, they discussed what to do. And they prayed, and they discerned that God was going to show himself faithful and powerful. So this house was owned by Muayiya, he was a Hmong man and the most influential shaman in all of Sangkwang province. Now, King decided to rent this house from Muayiya as it was the only place available. Other renters had fled in the past, and Muayiya did not think that this young couple was going to last very long either. But the prayers of the Andrianoffs, Nai King and his wife, were powerful and effective. Nai King and his family lived there in total peace. Muayiyo was shocked by this, but he wisely discerned that Nai King's God was more powerful than the spirits that he worshipped and tried to appease. So Muayiyo, the most influential shaman in that part of Laos, chose to worship Jesus after hearing the gospel message from Ted and Nai King. Muayiyo burned all of his spirit worship paraphernalia, and became the first ever Hmong believer. The year was 1950. In the next three months, Nai King, the Camus believer, 
And Muayya, the first ever Hmong believer, traveled village to village, sharing their story and the gospel message. In these three months, the two of them led nearly 1,000 Hmong people to believe in and follow Jesus Christ. Building upon the New Testament theme of being in Christ, the way that they described salvation was that people entered Jesus. So village to village they went, village chiefs converted, and so did villagers, and at times, entire villages. Usually, after hearing the gospel message and Muayya's conversion story, the village chief would gather together all the people, and for two or three days, they would discuss. And then together, they would decide whether or not they wanted to enter Jesus. So people accordingly destroyed their spirit worship and animistic paraphernalia as God moved them from bondage to freedom, from fear to peace, and from death to life. Ted Andrianoff believed that by God's grace, he was in the right place at the right time when God orchestrated a great movement unto himself. So Ted and, a, and another local Lao believer uh, from Vientiane, the capital, they followed up by traveling village to village to baptize and teach and train and disciple these new believers. So this follow-up discipleship became the focus of Ted's ministry for nearly two decades while serving in Laos. In 1951, the Andrianoffs found out that they were pregnant with their third child, a baby boy who was born in December of that year and was the first ever foreigner born in Sangkwang province. By the end of 1951, less than two years after the first salvation, there were 3,190 new believers in Sangkwang province. Uh, in 1952, the Andrianoffs returned back to the United States for a home assignment during that year. And then in early 1953, they went back to Laos, sailing from New York to Manila to Saigon. But while they were in Manila, they found out that Sangkwan had been overtaken by the Pathet Lao communist troops. So they went to Saigon and then back to Vientiane, the capital. And Ted was able to visit Sangkwan province in June of that year, but his heart was broken when he went to their house and found everything was stolen and the house itself was virtually destroyed. So Ted fell to his knees and wept and prayed to God. But by the end of 1953, there was close to 4,000 total Hmong believers in Sangkwang province. In the spring of 54, uh, in nearby Vietnam, the Viet Minh defeated the French colonial army at Dien Bien Phu, which marked the end of the French Indochina in that part of the world. But the Andrianoffs were able to move back to Sangkwan province in uh, September of 1954. And so with a lot of hard work, they were able to take their ravaged house and turn it into a home again. A year later, by September of 1955, there were 5,000 Hmong believers in Sangkwan province. And so follow-up discipleship continued for another two years. And then the Andrianoffs spent all of 1958 back in the United States on their second home assignment. In early 1959, they, went, they moved back to Vientiane, and two years later, in January of 61, Sangkwan again fell uh, to, the, to the communist troops. 
And so many, at that point, many of the new Hmong churches were, were burned down. And many, many people wound up being refugees from Sanquan into uh, Vientiane, the capital, where the Andrianos were now living, and so they were able to serve and minister to them there. Uh, during 1962, Ted was able to go to San Juan province 11 times to continue to encourage and teach and train and disciple and baptize uh, new believers. 1963 was another year-long home assignment back in the United States and then back to Vientiane in 1964, where the Andrianovs continued to disciple and teach and train uh, among believers for the next few years. But in 1968, Ted began to experience weakness and fatigue and disorientation. And so they traveled to Bangkok, Thailand, where he was diagnosed with a brain tumor. So they returned to New York City, and he had surgery to remove the tumor. But Ted Andrianoff died on February 5th, 1969. So following the death of her husband, Ruth continued to work for the Christian and Missionary Alliance uh, in the United States until her retirement, occasionally being able to visit Southeast Asia. While, uh, when all of Laos fell to the Pathet Lao communist troops in 1975, there were 14,000 Hmong Christians. And many of them wound up as refugees in Thailand and then eventually in the United States. And so from the first Hmong believer in 1950, today there are tens of thousands of Hmong Christians in Southeast Asia, North America, and Australia. It's an amazing story. So I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who abide in me bear much fruit. Ted and Ruth Andrianoff abided in Christ and bore much fruit. And the fruit they bore was essentially being a small part of a great movement that God had orchestrated. So that is to say that the fruit that Christ produced in and through the Andrianoffs was the conversion of many people. So why do I talk about these two heroes, or really these three heroes? Chances are we won't be prisoners of war, and, and chances are we won't be, in the words of Ted Andrianoff, in the right place at the right time when God decides to orchestrate a great movement unto himself. And that is okay. That's okay. Their lives are, are great stories, unique stories and uncommon stories. Stories of abiding in Christ, the true vine, and, and God chose to work in them and through them in amazing ways. But ultimately, their stories are, are not about them. They're just some branches connected to the vine. And ultimately, their stories are not even about the fruit that was produced through their labors. The fruit that we might be tempted to be envious of or tempted to compare ourselves against. But ultimately, their stories are about Jesus, the true vine. And we, just like them, we abide in Christ, the true vine. And Christ, the vine, will produce fruit in us and through us. And that fruit may be any number of things. Christ-likeness, forgiveness, the fruit of the Spirit, uh, a healthy, biblically faithful church in the Sauk Valley area, 
That fruit may be a number of people who convert to Christianity, uh, faithfully serving your local church for a number of years, a marriage that influences people for the cause of Christ, kingdom-focused generosity and giving, and, and so many more possibilities. But in all things, whatever fruit results from our lives or from our church, it will be Jesus, the vine, who produces that fruit. So practically speaking, what, what does it look like to abide in Christ? Well, first, we do nothing. Now, I say that halfway jokingly, but halfway seriously, because in John 15, Jesus says that he is the vine and we are the branches, and he commands us to abide in him. And the Greek verb used here is meno. And the English equivalent can be a few different things, stay, remain, live, dwell, and abide. So for, for those who are in Christ, basically, we just do nothing because we just need to stay and remain in Christ. Just, just don't leave. Jesus says, abide in me. Stay and remain in me. Live and dwell in me. But beyond doing nothing and just remaining in Christ where God has placed us, there is, of course, some things that we need to do. So, practically speaking, to be connected or to abide in Christ is essentially Christianity 101. It's, it's the basics of the faith. It's involvement in your local church. It's reading your Bible, prayer, and, and so on and so forth. The simplicity and the veracity of it is amazing. Abiding in Christ means doing the very things we love to do the more we love Christ. And so the great reason why Jesus gives these commands to his followers, to you and to me, is so that we love one another, which is exactly how this passage ends. Jesus says in verse 17, I am giving you these commands so that you may love one another. So this is Christ's desire for us, that we remain in him and bear fruit and love one another. And love itself is a fruit that Christ, the vine, produces in and through the branches. So there, there's a lot in this passage in, in John 15. There's a lot of theology, and it, it's all really awesome. And this sermon might be a little heavy on stories and a little, and a little light on interpretation and, and application, and I apologize for that, but this morning I, I want to close just by kind of drawing our eyes and our minds back to Scripture. And so these are the words of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He says, I am the vine, and my Father is the vine grower. He removes every branch in me that bears no fruit, but every branch that bears fruit he prunes to make it bear more fruit. You have already been cleansed by the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me as I abide in you, just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you bear fruit unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit, because apart from me, you can do nothing. Whoever does not abide in me is thrown away like a branch and withers. Such branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. 
If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask for whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified in this, that you bear much fruit and become my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. I have said these things to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friend. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants any longer, because the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends, because I have made known to you everything that I have heard from my father. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and I appointed you to go and bear much fruit, fruit that will last, so that the Father will, will give you whatever you ask him in my name. I am giving you these commands so that you may love one another. Amen. Would you pray with me? <clears throat> uh, Lord Jesus, we just thank you, God, that you are the vine, and you are our vine, and God, you've so graciously grafted us into, into Christ, your Son. And so, Lord, I just pray that, that you would help us to live and remain and dwell and abide in Christ. And if there's anyone here that's wandering away from, from Christ or is tempted to do so, Lord, would you ever so graciously just draw them back. Father, teach us to, to live and dwell and abide in Jesus and what that means and how how we do that. And then, Father, may, may you produce fruit in and through our lives, in and through our church, God, as we, as we, as we abide in you. And so, Lord, may this fruit also be, uh, be love, God, that we would love one another just as you have, have called us to do. And so, Lord, we, uh, we look to you and we ask that you would do all of this for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.